Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Tina Finnerty shares her four rules of dating. So last, uh, last month I came to Storytelling and I was really inspired and I went, oh my God, I really, really want to be a part of this. So I saw the theme for this month, disappointments, and I thought, oh my gosh, what? What, what has everyone experienced disappointment in their life? And I think everybody, show of applause, if you have never experienced disappointment in your love life. That's what I thought. <laughs> so you guys will all be able to relate to this. Um, what I thought I would do is share with you some wisdom that I imparted on my kids. I have two wonderful daughters. Um, Some rules for dating. Just going to go over four of them tonight. Uh, They're real simple. They're real basic. And I'll explain to you how, how those rules came about so you can understand why they can be so important in your life as well. The first rule is never marry anybody that you tell, dude, you need to find somebody else to date. That marriage is probably not going to go well. Number two... It's very, very helpful if you are aware of your sexual orientation prior to getting into a relationship. (laughs) It's helpful to know theirs as well, but it's really good to be aware of your own. The third rule is, and, and I had to work on this one. I had to do this more than once before I learned this one. And this was really the one I made number one for my kids. Never date anybody that you meet in a mental health facility. And the last one, and in the world of apps and credit card agreements and everything, everybody can relate to this. Always verify the terms and conditions of the relationship prior to committing to the relationship. So how did, how did I come up with these rules? Well, first off, let me give you a little bit of background. I am that old, so I am, I am a product of the 80s. Um, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home. My parents were Pentecostals. Um, if you guys are old enough, you may remember a, the kind of famous couple named Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Okay, my parents worked for them. So, okay, so I don't need to explain that anymore. Everybody, everybody has that. Um, 1988, does anybody remember who one of the Republican presidential nominees or uh, candidates was for the Republican Party? A local guy here, Pat Robertson. Yeah, the whole family voted for him. I, I fi- relax, I figured it out. I figured it out. Right now I'm tied between Cruz and Tr- Just kidding, just kidding. So you have an idea of, of the background. And, and there were expectations. You know, you grow up, you find a job, you get married, you have kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my parents were super excited when they found out that my plans post-high school were, hey, Mom, Dad, the recruiter's coming over tonight after dinner, and I'm going to need you to sign the paperwork so I can join the Navy. After some back and forth, they finally, okay, fine, sign off on the paperwork. Yay, I'm in the Navy. Three weeks after I graduate from high school hop on the bus, and head to boot camp. Now, when I leave for boot camp, I'm scheduled to go to an A school that is at Biloxi Air Force Base in good old Biloxi, Mississippi, which that is the place you want to be in September uh, because it's hot as fuck. But my parents were happy because conservative South, she's going to be in good hands, et cetera, et cetera. Two weeks before I graduate from boot camp, guess what? A school has moved to Treasure Island, California. If you don't know where Treasure Island is, it is in the San Francisco Bay. And in 1987, at the height of the AIDS crisis, it's also where Satan lives in America. (laughs) 
according to my mother. Uh, so I'm like, Mom, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it. I'm heading off. I'm going to be on my own, and I'm going to be good. I'm prayed up, and I'm going to school to learn how to work in the chaplain's office, so it's going to be good. We're good. So I get out there, and uh, it's my A school and another A school that are out there, and we're all sharing the same barracks, which, for those of you who are not familiar with military barracks, it's like a college dorm. There are three females, including myself, and about 200 guys. This is the best odds a female can have in the world of dating. It really doesn't get any better than this. And everybody's in great shape. We're all young. We just finished boot camp. We're at the prime of our lives. So I settle on uh, an Italian guy from New York. Fell in love with the Long Island accent. So it's beautiful. It's puppy love. We go out every night that we don't have duty. He's in my duty section, so, and it turns out that I have to answer to him on duty nights. So it's great. We're never separated except for when we're in class because he's in the other A school. He is going to be stationed on a ship that's already deployed in the med. So we decide, hey, if we're going to carry this relationship on, let's see how we do getting through a deployment because, you know, you need to be able to know if you can do that. The deployment goes great. He comes home. It's your standard issue, Navy homecoming. Everything is wonderful. Anybody who has a spouse that's been deployed, you know when they first get back, it doesn't get any better than that. Things are going along great, and then he starts getting overbearing and becoming uh, more of a, shall we say, stereotypical Italian New Yorker. It's kind of cramping my style. It's not really working out for me. So finally, I break down, and I literally say to him on the phone, because he's bugging the shit out of me at work, and I go, dude, you need to find somebody else to date, because I'm not the one for you. Reflecting back to the rules, so you guys all know what happened next, right? (laughs) Right, so we got married, (laughs) and and I I have two great kids out of it. They're they're wonderful. One of them was even kind enough to show up tonight. Uh, But, uh, yeah, so the marriage is just the epitome of not good Um, because he's really controlling, and I'm really not liking being controlled. So it's just bad. You know, we're, we're fighting all the time. We're beating the daylights out of each other. At one point, I was in therapy. My therapist says, is your husband abusive? And I said, Oh, hell no. When we fight, we fight fair. He hits me, I hit him back. It's all good. (laughs) A few more years of therapy, I figured out that's not okay. But anyway, uh, so in the middle of this tumultuous 10-year marriage, my dad comes down with ALS. And for those of you who know ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, um, it's an absolutely horrible way to go. Uh, So I watch my dad, who is the vibrant, life-of-the-party, outgoing guy, never sick a day in his life, go from that to a guy who, by the time he passed away, he had lost the ability to even blink his eyes, let alone move anything else. And it rocked my world, because I was daddy's little girl. When I was three, my parents took a picture of me going, got daddy wrapped on my wolf finger. Um, So when I lost my dad, it just rocked my world. At that point in your life, I was 25, I had two kids, And when something like that happens, you really expect to be able to count on your spouse and your immediate family members to help you through that. And I had neither. And in the middle of it, I moved from Florida, where my family was, back to Virginia, 
because my husband at the time had gone back in the Navy. So now I'm up here. I don't really know anybody. I don't have any other family around to support me at all. And, uh, and I'm in crisis mode. So I found myself spending the next 18 months in and out of beach psych. I don't view that as a horrible thing. But uh, I, I took that time to really learn a lot about myself. And there's a lot of things that if you're willing to do the work that you can learn about yourself. Like, I now think that my mom's furniture looks great in her house, but not in mine. I don't like that style of furniture. Keep your, <laughs> keep your plaid furniture, Mom. It's okay. Another thing that I learned about myself is that I don't like boys. <laughs> Turns out Tina likes girls. <laughs> so the marriage thing really is not a good fit. Take that as you will. Um, (laughs) But the other thing that can happen when you're in a mental hospital, A, you can get certified by Social Security Disability as being crazy, which I did, so I wasn't working. But I had an opportunity to meet some really cool people, one of which was the first out lesbian I had ever met in my life. Now, I know all of you are going, didn't you say you went into the Navy in high school? It was in the 80s and 90s, and we weren't out yet. Yeah, so I met this, I met two different women, dated both of them, so you guys see where it's going. <laughs> Didn't end well with either one of them. The, the out lesbian that I met, it was, it was uh, I, I will forever be grateful to her because she, she helped me through my initial coming out process and the initial steps in that journey, but not a good mate. The first one that I dated, I ended up having to take to court, and she keyed fuck into the side of my car, (laughs) which is always fun to explain to your six-year-old that's learning how to read. (laughs) The second one, in a fit of rage, planted my vacuum cleaner in the wall. So rule number three, never date anybody that you meet in a mental health facility chances are not going to end well. One of them actually got me kicked out of an aftercare group. They said, you're a threat to the group. You can't come anymore. I was like, really? I don't understand. So I've taken some time. I've gotten my life together. I've done all the hard work in therapy, and my life is coming back together. I'm back at work. I'm raising my kids. Things are going well, and I've decided it is now time to enter into the world of lesbian dating. And in 1999, in Tidewater, you had very limited options for finding someone. One, join a softball team. (laughs) Well, I know you probably can't tell it by my physique, but I am not athletic. So nobody wanted me to play on their team. So no softball. Uh, The second option was bars. When I go into a bar, I tend to get stuck to the wall, and nobody sees me because I'm a little wallflower. Um, And so it's hard to meet people when you're a wallflower, and the only other time I could meet people was when I got drunk enough to go out on the dance floor, and nobody wanted to know me sober. (laughs) Option number three is, and in 1999, the Internet was invented. Now, at that point, you really didn't have eHarmony and you didn't have Match.com and all of that. So you had a couple of options. You could go into AOL's chat rooms, which was kind of like bars without faces. 
equally scary, because now I can make up in my head what you look like, and you just terrified me. But I did get a toaster, if anybody remembers that. Okay, nobody remembers that. So last option for me, AOL keyword profile searches. Lesbian, southeastern Virginia. And that's where you start. Uh, And then you whittle it down. And then uh, I meet this woman who... uh, we seem to have a lot of common, a lot of stuff in common, and we're, you know, I am in each other all the time, and it's going well. And uh, it turns out, literally, we are neighbors. We live in neighboring apartment complexes. I know, it's adorable, isn't it? So we finally, after we've been chatting for, I don't know, I, it seemed like forever, maybe a couple of months, maybe not that long, I don't know. It was a long time ago. But anyway, we decide it's date night time. So we're going to get together and go on a date, meet each other face-to-face. Because at this point, you know, you had to have a scanner because you didn't carry around a cell phone and you could take selfies all the time. So you had to have a scanner, and I didn't have a scanner. So she didn't know what I looked like, and the only picture that she had to send me was from a Halloween party. (laughs) Now, the cool thing is she was a fairy princess. No lie. So it's date night now, and I run out to Norfolk Florist around the corner and get my flowers and come home and get all spiffed up, hop in the car, drive around the corner. Hey! And we go on a date. Date goes really well. We go to dinner. Dinner's over. We're walking back to the car. Now, I, given my background, am not a PDA person at all, not even in the slightest. So we're walking back to the car, and this chick who I have just known face-to-face for maybe two hours grabs my ass on the way to the car on Collie Avenue. At that point, I was terrified. I didn't know whether to be offended or excited. (laughs) Turns out excited worked out okay. Now, at the time, I'm working at Geico, and for anybody who knows anything about Geico, way back in the day... You had to park in East Jesus, and they wouldn't let you take your cell phone into the building. So they had these big banks of payphones on the wall down by the cafeteria. And I'm working a weird schedule, so I work in the evening and at night, and she's got a normal day job working Monday through Friday during the day. During the week, we would either call each other, you know, because my lunch break coincided with her on her way home from work. So we'd either talk on the phone, or she would come and spend my lunch break with me. And I thought, well, that's cool. So uh, she comes one night, and I'm eating my lunch in her car in the parking lot, and we're sitting there talking, and I go, you know what? It's been about a month. I'm ready. I am going to take that leap and drop the L word. I'm going to tell this amazing woman that I love her. And I am scared to death. And I say... I just wanted to tell you, I really think I'm falling in love with you. And eternity passes. (laughs) And she says, I think I love you as well. And I went, yes! I have scored the mother load. I have scored somebody who's smart, somebody who's cute, somebody who's funny, treats me right, doesn't think it's okay to hit me, doesn't think it's okay to belittle me. Life is good. 
and she knows and likes my kids, which is also helpful because they were little at the time. So I went, I have it made. I have arrived. But this story is not about that. It's about disappointment. Fast forward two weeks. (laughs) We've talked, and she's not going to come spend my lunch break with me. No biggie. Run downstairs on my lunch break. Grab my quarter out of my pocket. Put it in the phone. Dial the number. Hey, babe, how was your day? You know, that normal end-of-the-day conversation. And she says, I don't think we should see each other anymore. What? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we should date anymore. Why? It's just, it's just not working. And I'm devastated. Well, come to find out, at this point in her life, she had kind of a rule that she went by for dating, and that was don't date anybody for more than six weeks. And I had hit the six weeks expiration point. Hence, please make sure that you verify the terms and agreements (laughs) before you commit to a relationship. Now, Just a quick review. Does anybody remember rule number one? Never date anybody, never marry anybody that you tell, find somebody different. Number two, always helpful to know if you're gay or not before you get in a relationship with somebody who is or isn't. Number three, mental facilities off off limits for dating. And number four, always actually read those terms in agreement before you hit accept. Now, anybody in here in the last six months gotten a thing from your credit card company that says, hey, we've changed your terms in agreement to your credit card? Yes? Okay, well, I was lucky enough to get a phone call saying that I have changed my terms in agreement. And in July, we will have been married for 15 years. Thanks, guys. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. I'm Deb Markham, producer of the show. Our live host is Brendan Kennedy. Amber Nettles, Evan Hartley, and Scott Rose provide production assistance. And Jenny Zell serves as our podcast consultant. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.